Back in 1995, a movie came out called Billy Madison. Man, that was a long time ago, wasn't it? And the particular scene I want to pick up on is that Billy Madison, played by Adam Sandler, uh, has experienced a sort of a turning point in his life, and he decides to reach out and make amends to all the people that he has offended over his lifetime. And so in this particular scene, he gets on the phone with a particular guy, and he just comes out and apologizes for how he treated this guy when he was in high school. And then he says, will you forgive me? In a very nonchalant manner, the guy on the other end of the phone says, sure, no problem. Like it really wasn't a big deal. Like he might have only even forgot about it. And so Billy is super pleased and even suggests that they have a cup of coffee sometime. The guy says, sure, I would like that. And he hangs up and Billy is just super excited about it. But once off the phone, the man turns around to a list of the top 10 people to kill. And in that moment, he scratches Billy Madison's name off the list. Oh, the power of forgiveness. Let me ask you a question. Do you have someone in your life that you hurt? Maybe you intended to, maybe you didn't, and they won't forgive you? This is a really hard place to be in, isn't it? What do you think's keeping them from forgiving you? Is it trust? Is it revenge? Is it fear? Is it hate? Is it all those things? Now let me ask you another question. Do you have someone in your life that hurt you? Maybe they intended to, maybe they didn't, and you just can't forgive them? This is also a hard place to be. What do you think is keeping you from forgiving them? Trust? Revenge? Fear? Hate? Maybe all of them. <laughs> well, listen up. One of the most prominent topics in the Bible is centered around the subject of forgiveness. And I want to give you just a couple of points from Scripture today that I think might help direct us and help move us forward in experiencing what Jesus wants us to experience. The first principle is this. Seeking forgiveness is a higher priority than going to church. Yep, I said it. Seeking forgiveness is a higher priority than going to church. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus teaches us this principle. He says, if you are offering your gift at the altar and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you, leave your gift in front of the altar. First go and be reconciled to them, then come and offer your gift. That's right. Seeking forgiveness in God's mind, in Jesus' teaching, is a higher priority than going to church. Second principle, God has forgiven you. It only makes sense that you would forgive others. Now, Jesus has this uh, conversation with Peter, who's like a super honest, open guy with Jesus, you know? And uh, he's, he's gonna ask a question about forgiveness. I'm gonna be reading from uh, the book of, um, book of Matthew chapter 18. It says, then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Good question. Up to seven times. That's his question. Up to seven times? <laughs> you know, Peter's wanting to know, okay, how many times? Because if it's seven, then on eight, you know, there's no more forgiveness. Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 70 times seven. If you get your calculator out, that is 490 times. Now, for some people, they're thinking, great, because on 491, there's no more forgiveness. Jesus, no. Jesus is saying, no, you just keep on forgiving because that's what God has done for you. Then he tells a story, and I want you to listen to the story. It's a great story. He says, therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. 
as he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged, and will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debts, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred uh, silver coins. He grabbed him and, ch and, and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe, he demanded. His servant uh, fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all the debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your servant just as I had on you? In anger, your master, in, in anger his master handed him over to the jailer to be tortured until he could pay back all that he owed. This is how my heavenly Father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now let's put this in context. What is 10,000 bags of gold? What would that mean to us today? That equals 20 years of wages. Now, what does 100 silver coins equal to us today? It equals one day of wages. People who hold out on forgiving others hurt themselves. This is the third and final principle I want you to see. God wants us to forgive others because he has forgiven us. And he also wants us to know that when we don't forgive others, it really hurts us more than anybody else. I remember as a young pastor, I uh, came across a lady who was in our church and no doubt about it, her husband betrayed her in the worst sort of way. I mean, just everything you can imagine. And they got a divorce and he got remarried and uh, he was successful and he was super happy. I met him, he kind of felt sorry for what he did. I think he might have even asked for forgiveness. But this lady, for the 20 years that I knew her, never was able to let go of this. And she literally was one of the most bitter people that I have ever met in my life. And I remember as a pastor just saying, I swear to myself, I will never be in this position. It's just not worth it. But here's the true confession. I did find myself in this position and I struggled. I had a couple of friends betray me in a way that just really took me down into the pits. And I remember in the early days, I was angry and I prayed the prayer of David in the Psalms. That's what I love about David. He prayed the prayer that God would like, like wipe out his enemies. And I'm like, if David can pray and he's a man after God's own heart, then I can pray it as well. For quite some time, I prayed David's prayer, at least the first part of his Psalm, when, before he came to his senses. I knew this principle that this would make me a bitter person, and I didn't want to die a bitter old man, and, and I didn't want it to keep me from living a blessed life. And I also knew that, uh, that blessing follows obedience. You have to be obedient, and sometimes you just do the right thing, and then blessing will follow. And for quite some time, with my teeth clenched, I would say, I forgive them, I forgive them. But it didn't take. 
It wasn't as Jesus just said in the story. It wasn't from the heart. True confession. It took me two years to finally get there where my heart and my head were aligned and I was able to actually forgive and to forget. So today, I'm the Bible teacher, but today, I'm not your best model to be held up on what forgiveness looks like. But God's not finished with me yet. I'm working on it. But I do think that God has brought us someone who I think can help us with this topic. Well, Daryl Burton, uh, friend, I'm so excited that you have honored the Westside Family Church today to talk to us about this important topic of forgiveness. Uh, some people know your story. I know your story because we broke bread together when you shared it with me. And, uh, and I'm, I want to now introduce your story and the power of forgiveness to our congregation. we got some folks that could really use this, and I'm one of them. So what I want you to do in telling your story is uh, share uh, what was going on in your life uh, back in 1984, some of the good things that were going on. Well, Randy, well, thank you for having me here at Westside. Um, uh, in my life back in 1984, I had just enrolled in college. Mm. I was a new dad, happy, happy about yeah. my little girl. I had a seven-month-old daughter, and I had a chance to spend time with her three times. And I wanted to raise this little girl. You know, that was the, probably the proudest moment of my life at yeah. that time. And, uh, and that's, you know, when you're a father for the first time, that's, you know, that's your whole world, you know. So you had a lot of hope in front oh, of you. Oh, man, a lot of hope in front of me. You know, and every time I looked at this little girl, all I would think about is, you know, man, the things I'm going to do for her. Yeah. You know, she just don't have an idea how I'm going to spoil this little child. Yeah. You know, and I think that's how God feels about us, you know, yeah. when you look at it in a you know, bigger scheme of things. And so, and that's how I felt, just overwhelming love that I had for this human being, you yeah. know. So it's just. So life was on a good path. You had this great girl path. going to college. Yeah. And until yeah. it's been then, then something happened. Tell us about this incident that really changed the trajectory of your life. Everything changed, you know, and almost like a 9-0-second. And it was uh, June the 28th, never forget that date. Mm. And so I was arrested for the crime of capital murder. And no motive, no ballistic, no DNA, no confession, weapon. Nothing connected me to the crime with one exception. Witnesses, two witnesses, two witnesses who came to court, raised their hand, and, uh, and swore to tell the truth and lied. And, uh, and I'm thinking, you know, why would these guys lie? Why would, these, why would anyone do something like that, a crime as serious as this? And I'm thinking, this never happened to anybody. Uh, and I thought I was the only person in the world that had ever experienced something like this. And I had a public defender who I saw one time. Oh. I had a, you know, a three-day trial, and I was convicted in less than an hour. It happened just that quick. And um, in the city of St. Louis, uh, a little bit south of Ferguson, Missouri. I lived in Ferguson, Missouri. Wow. So yeah, that just turned my world upside down, and, uh, and I'm thinking I'd never see my little girl again. What it, goes through your mind? Yeah, so yeah. one of my men, because what, what, what was the sentence you got? I, they waived the death penalty. I was facing the death penalty. They waived the death penalty and gave me life without parole for 50 years plus 25 years consecutive. So that meant I had to spend 75 years in prison before I would have been eligible for parole. I'm about like 22 years old at the time, so you can do the math. Yeah. yeah, you're not coming out of there except in a bag. Exactly. You know, it wasn't death by lethal injection, but it was death by incarceration. Death by incarceration. Man, yeah. I can't even yeah. imagine the pain that you experienced, I mean, let alone for someone who makes a mistake and does yeah. commit a crime that might be worthy of a punishment like that, but to not do it and have this everything ripped 
right away from you. How old was your daughter at the time? Seven months. Seven she months. Was just seven crawling. months. Yeah. She was just crawling. Seven months. So, uh, so the day, so June twenty eighth is when the murder actually took place, or the no, day? No, that's the day I was arrested. The yeah. day you were arrested was June twenty eighth, right. yeah. and you know what today is? June twenty eighth. This is my anniversary. Anniversary. Yeah. Thirty six years ago yeah. was the day you were arrested. I can't imagine. Yeah. I mean, I've got just goosebumps thinking about just yeah. where we're going to go with this story. Yeah, just, I mean, you just reminded me of it. That's right, yeah. Uh, 36 years ago today, and so my life was just turned upside down. And, you know, you never think anything like this could happen. At least I didn't. And I'm thinking, you know, they got a mistake. They, you know, they're going to get it right. Didn't fit the description. Several people at the scene of the crime said it was a medium to light-skinned person who committed the crime, the suspect. Well, I'm dark-skinned. Right, right. You know? I mean, and they said it was a short guy. Now, I'm not seven feet, but I'm not short either. Right, right. So, so there was this, but they didn't really lean into that at all. Didn't lean into that at all. At all. No. And you know, you, one of the things that you mentioned when we were sharing dinner together, that even within the African-American community, there is sort of a, almost a, a prejudice against a skin color. Can you tell me just a little bit about that? Yeah, Randy, actually, in my community, being as dark as uh, I am, uh, the fair-skinned African-Americans or lighter-skinned African-Americans, they get treated better. They're considered to be the smartest, the brightest, the, the ones who most likely to succeed, uh, the most attractive. So even in the black community, folks who are my complexion, we sometimes get treated, you know, like second-class citizens, and uh, wow. it's unfortunate. But and even if you go back and look at some of the even old movies, you know, you only had a few dark-skinned African Americans. I think, you know, Sidney Poitier may have been one, you know, and Count Basie, you know, uh, no, I think it was uh, what was the name, uh, Louis Armstrong, yeah, Louis Armstrong, you know, uh, and, and a couple others. But basically, you know, they were fair-skinned yeah. individuals. So. That was news to me. Okay, so yeah. you've now been uh, taken out of society. You're going to be yeah. serving uh, essentially a life sentence. Uh, what was your emotion over, you know, you, you, you had some issues, right? Tell me about all of that. Yeah, I was, uh, I was filled with rage and anger, you know, and, uh, and hate, literally. I hated the entire criminal justice system. Anybody that, you know, has something to do with the criminal justice system, I held hate in my heart for them. Anywhere in the world, if you was, you know, judge, police, prosecutor, uh, lawyer, uh, corrections officer, guard, and I knew that wasn't right for what a handful of people did for me, but I did to me, but I couldn't get past the hate. I was filled with a lot of hate and a lot of rage, and uh, it, uh, it was a long time before I could get past the hate. Very, yes, very long a, time. A bitter. It, so it's one thing to be in prison; it's another thing to be in prison filled with anger, bitterness, and rage. But it's understandable, given the fact that you didn't do it. Right. But it still didn't do you any good to be filled with this anger and rage. No, it was just really. This, uh, it was detrimental to me. It was really for someone to be filled with that kind of rage and that kind of hate, it was like a cancer, mm. you know, and it really, you know, it impacted me in prison and almost caused me to stay in prison for a much longer time yeah. because you get into fights, you get into situations, confrontations, and I'm an innocent man, and so in prison is just you know, a horrible place. It's really hell, the epitome of hell on earth. And uh, But uh, I had to do something with that anger because I knew it was a cancer. I knew it was affecting me, and it was a spiritual prison, as you said. I had to do something with the hate yeah. you know, and the bitterness. You know. So... Everybody knows we're getting we're going to get around to the number one solution of all times, whose name is Jesus. So yeah. where does Jesus come? How does Jesus come into the picture for you in your relationship with Him? How long were How long was it, et cetera? Tell us that story. Well, it took a long time. It was uh, quite a long time before Jesus came into my life. I grew up in the Baptist faith tradition. I mm -hmm. got away from the church you know, at a certain age. Uh, after I didn't have to go to church in the Baptist faith tradition. My grandmother made us go to church. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Sunday, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, it was a lot of church going. And, uh, and so at a certain age, I, I'm not going anymore. And my grandmother said, you know, one of these days, boy, you're going to need Jesus. I 
hope you remember the call on him. And I just dismissed it like, yeah, okay, what up, Grandma? But she was right. Uh, Jesus came into my life, you know, after many years of being angry and bitter and filled with rage, you know, and hate. You know, and I never, you know, called out to Jesus. But my grandmother's words, she had died, was ringing in my head. But it was, it was a time and a moment when uh, I said, you know, what do I have to lose? And I wrote him a letter, literally, and said, Dear Jesus Christ, if you're real and you and I know I'm innocent, if you help me get out of this place, not only would I serve you, I'd tell the world about you. Sincerely yours, Daryl Burton. Didn't have a mailing address, but I wrote it for two reasons. One, it was when people talk to me about Jesus, I'm like, look, I've written him a letter. I haven't heard from him. <laughs> okay? He's not answering my mail. <laughs> and I wrote it literally, you know, yeah. pen and paper. At some point, I was challenged to read the Bible, and I did, and I saw this verse in the Bible, one verse in the Bible, Gospel of Luke 23, 34, when Jesus was being executed and crucified, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Mm. That verse touched me. I said, that's divine. How could this guy being killed and as an innocent man forgive these people? Right. And he's innocent. Uh, that's something that, you know, just uh, if he could forgive at the point of death, I felt I had no excuses. But it still didn't happen overnight. I was still bitter and angry, and I prayed for people, people through clenched teeth. I'm going to pray for them, but you know what they did to me. Make them turn around. You know what they did to me. I was so angry, and I, and I just gave up and said, you know, God, I can't, I can't forgive these people. It's too hard. And something whispered, whispered to me, Randy, in my spirit and said, no, Daryl, you can't forgive them. But I can forgive them through you if only you would let me. Oh. And then I look back at that verse and I notice Jesus couldn't forgive them either. That's why he said, Father, forgive them. Yeah. For they know not what they do. It was too hard for Jesus and his humanness. Forgiveness can only come from God yeah. through us if we just let him. That and, is and a big deal. So Jesus yeah. gave you not only the ability to yeah. forgive, but he gave you the pathway through God to yeah. forgive them through you. Absolutely. And it, and it started to take, right? Yeah, and, it started to take, and it took hold to the point where uh, Randy, at some point in that prison experience, I became free inside me. Yeah. That spiritual prison no longer existed. The guards, the walls, the gates, the locks, everything just melted away. I didn't see it. And inmates and guards even said, said, man, you're walking around this prison as if you're a free man. It's like this place don't even exist. You know, and I was smiling. And I said, and it doesn't. I'm free inside me. Even if you and never get out of this place. Never get out of this that place. That is about as powerful if thing as I've ever heard. never let me go, I'm already free. I am Freeborn is what Paul said. I'm freeborn. Yeah. So you can't encase someone who's free in Christ. And that's what I felt, you know, inside of me. Wow. And I, and I was. Eight years or so later, you know, they, they released me physically. Yeah. You know, I said, Darrell, you know, they said you're free. I said, man, I was free 10 years ago. Yeah. You guys are just catching up with my body, but I've been gone. I left that prison 10 years ago. So this, yeah. this, this is a 180 degree turn. Yeah. You're free man. Even though you're still incarcerated, and uh, and we were just talking about this earlier, uh, right. uh, John Grisham's new book Guardian actually talks about this organization, right. Centurion, and That's we right. also had a chance to talk about the Just Mercy guys. You yeah. know, they, Jamie Fox. You right. know, we talked about. You know, those guys as yeah. well. So tell us about this Centurion organization and the journey with them. Centurion is the first organization in the world that was helping innocent people get out of prison. I didn't know that they existed. They based in Princeton, New Jersey, and I saw them on a 60 Minutes program. They were helping this lady get out of a Texas prison. She had served nine years for a murder she didn't commit. So I wrote them in 1990, and they wrote me back, and basically what they said is that, well, we help innocent people get out of prison who are innocent, but we have a 1,000 cases that's backlog. It would be 10 years before we get to your case. What they told me in 1990. Oh. I said, well, I'm going to write you for 10 years, because <laughs> I had 75 years, actually. And I wrote them for 10 years, and it was 10 years later, and they took my case in 2000. And then it was eight years after that before they got me exonerated. Okay, but when they first came in to see me, 
when they come into prison to see me, it was almost like, you know, I mean, it seemed like God just opened up, you know, this, uh, this, this door, you know, you know, of, of hope, you know, and, and of freedom, you know, and of someone who's going to really, you know, fight for my liberty and fight to, you know, prove my innocence. And uh, these people like angels, you know, who walked into my life. And, uh, and it was something that, that, that connected with me, three things that connected with me, that Jesus, you know, I think God gave me three signs because I needed some, some signs. Yeah. You know, one was the organization called Centurion. Yeah. Got the name from the Bible, okay? When Jesus was crucified, a centurion said, surely, this was an innocent man. Yeah. That was in Luke's gospel also, yeah. 2347. That was the first sign. The second sign is the man who founded the organization. His name is James. Yeah. One of Jesus' apostles' name is James. Yeah. So, And I saw these things, but I'm still not quite a believer. I'm thinking these coincidences. The third sign was the kicker for me. The lead attorney who helped me get out of prison, well, her name is Shura Pilate, as in Pontius Pilate. Oh. I'm like, you know, God, you know, I basically said, show me a sign. Well, that, that was it. <laughs> I, I, didn't, I couldn't get a clearer sign than that. And, uh, and so I, I really began to fall, you know, in love with this guy named Jesus in this book in the Bible and these stories. And I said, you know, if these folks could go through what they went through 2,000 plus years ago, then that's hope for me. So you uh, write them for 10 years. Yeah. God gives you these signs. And then after they take your case, it still takes... Eight years. Eight more years. So you see, people that are watching this right now, I, we, I can't even fathom... I can't, yeah. fathom, I can't fathom this. And I had already done over six years, yeah. so you're talking almost 25 years. Yeah, about, 25, 25 years, okay. Years. Yeah. So they, 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 you're finally exonerated, right? They go back and, and, uh, yeah. and declare your innocence. They go back and just look at simple facts. Well, they found this lady who had came to the trial in 1985. She told the police the day of the trial, you got the wrong man. He's too dark, mm. my dark skin. I used to be ashamed of my dark skin growing up because yeah. I'm darkening all my siblings. They hid that. They didn't let her testify to that. In 1985, they hid that. 84, 85, they hid that information. That didn't come out until 2007. You know, when this lady, they found her in Baltimore, Maryland. She had moved away, and she was not a young woman. But she's still around waiting for a chance to tell a judge in the court there's an innocent man in prison. They also found that one of the key witnesses for the prosecution, they made deals with this guy, basically paid for his testimony. Yeah. And so, you know, they hid information about him. Yet, you know, they said he had two convictions when he had 12. They said he was facing two years in jail. Well, he was facing 30 years in jail. So that's what motivated him to come and lie. I cannot yeah. imagine. Okay. Um, now tell us about, um, if you, you know, the day that you walked out. Is there any particular emotion you had or thought? I mean. Yes. That, I mean, I couldn't believe it. I went to my assignment. I had a job assignment in prison as most, you know, offenders People in prison got assignments and work assignments. So I went to my work assignment with the uh, Rehabilitation Services for the Blind, I think is what it was. And so I went up there, and it was about 7.30 in the morning when we'll, you know, go, go to work and, you know, our prison job. And here came a, a caseworker and the warden. And uh, the warden had this, you know, he said he had this order from the courts. And I had, I had a hearing like 18 months prior. And it's, the courts gave the warden 15 days to, to release me. You know, if the, if the state was not going to retry me. So he had 15 days. It was already 11 days had passed. And so he, when he came to me, and I didn't believe it. I said, you know, uh, Warden, I appreciate that. Man. He said, well, look, go back to your housing unit and pack your stuff. I said, well, I don't believe it until I'm out, out of this prison because I've had ups and downs before. You know, where courts it seemed like they was going to, you know, release me and rule in my favor and it would just turn sour. But when I got to these last two doors to the prison, mm. these two exit and entrance doors, no locks, no gates, no... And it's like they said, my lawyer said, I just went into a trance. I don't remember leaving that prison. 
They said, I just started saying, praise God, praise God, praise God. They said, I just went into a trance and like a chant. And I don't remember mm. leaving that prison, going out of those doors. Mm. And I just, I just got outside and uh, it was like I was, you could tell, they got some video footage of it somewhere, but you could tell I looked lost and I was. I was wow. It was just, yeah, it was, it was a... It was a phenomenal moment. Man. Yeah. So you've been out now for how many years? Since August the 29th, 2008, so coming up on 12 years. On 12 years. Yeah. Um, a couple questions for you. Um, your daughter, uh, you know, she was seven months, and right. she's, you know, 25, 26 years old when you come out. Right. That's right. She was, yeah, she was a young woman. Yeah. And she didn't really, you know, grow up to bond with me. And yeah. so that's been a struggle even to yeah. this day. That said, something was taken away from you. Yes. And yes, she was, she was yeah. moved in and out of foster care homes, I guess, and she things was. like that. She, and so she, she grew up in foster So that, 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 yeah. that uh, unjust conviction to you just didn't affect you. That's right. Yeah, you know, we I, need to pray for her, man. Yeah. You know, and, and, and your relationship with her. And, yeah, but thank you. Yes, that's what I, I I've said this here. One sentence created two prisons. You know, wow. And it, and it did. Wow. You know, because it imprisoned my little girl who didn't get a chance to know her dad, you know, yeah. and locked her and then she her mother lost parental custody and she was in foster care and foster care system. And uh, she turned out well, man. I you yeah. know, I can't take any credit for it. She graduated high school on time. She emancipated herself from the foster care system. And she's living here right now in Kansas City. She moved up here um, uh, about a year ago. Yeah. The yeah. story's not finished yet, it's right? It's not finished, man. God's it's not grace. Finished. Hey, yeah. um, you, uh, and, and now you're married? I am, yes. Tell and me a little bit about so your family. My, my, my wife, Valerie, we have four daughters now. It's a blended family. So she had three daughters. I have one. So we have four daughters. We live right here in Old Lake of Kansas. You know, we both, you know, love God. Christian, she was, you know, with a non-denominational church uh, for years, you know, until um, we met and we became, you know, Methodist, part of the Methodist community. Uh, we have nine grandchildren. Yeah, <laughs> some great grandchildren. Yeah, so keep us busy. <laughs> <laughs> you know but, the uh, the beauty of yeah. that story is you, you. We were talking ahead of time that I taught last uh, Sunday on the story of the life of Joseph and how he yeah. was able to forgive his brothers because he saw God's bigger picture. And his life ends. It says he was 110 years old, oh, and it says yeah. that, that that he was able to see uh, his grandchildren to the third generation. Oh, wow! And they placed <laughs> uh, they placed him on his knees, and yeah. that even. Even though he spent a lot of time in prison, yeah. he got, uh, in his case, he got 73 years of being reunited with his dad and his family, and, and God yeah. redeemed that, you know, and, and restored that, and Israel was saved. And I really believe your story is very, very mm -hmm. similar to that, that even though what's happened to you is horrific, and the overall yeah. upper story that God is writing for such a time as this, story of Esther, yeah. um, you you've got so much credibility uh, to speak, you know, in this time where, you know, uh, racism has reemerged itself again and injustice has reemerged itself again. It's probably all going to be with us. But now, 25 years later, you have a, a wonderful ministry. I'm so glad you came to us because you're so busy. Can you tell us about your new work and uh, what it's about and where it's at? Yes. Yeah, well, thank you for asking and, and setting it up like that. I've heard my the parallel to the Joseph story about uh, several people. And I can see some, you know, analogies uh, to that story as well, uh, that, that kind of suffering. But I just think he's a much bigger life figure than me. You know, I'm just, you know. Just I'm not a, sure right now in my <laughs> mind. <laughs> Pretty similar. Well, thank you. I appreciate it. But, yeah, we have Miracle of Innocence is an organization that Lamont McIntyre and I started. Two exonerees. Lamont, he was in Kansas prison for 23 years. I was in Missouri prison for 24 years uh, plus, and when I say 24, I you know round it off to 25. But it's uh, so it's uh, an organization to help innocent people 
get out of prison who are just like us. They're sitting in prison and they're sitting in these cells and they're innocent, actually, in factually innocent. They didn't commit any crime. They had nothing to do with the crime. Don't even know about these uh, crimes in most cases, and most of them for murder where they have to stay in prison for life. When I came home, I was homeless in this community for about a day or so. I didn't have any resources, nothing that, you know, a person who committed a crime, when he come home, they give him housing, transportation, communication, job tra training and life skills training. They don't do that for innocent people. If we don't get compensated by the courts, we have to figure it out on our own. Even though I lost two and a half decades, I lost 25 years. So, and I said, man, this is just wrong. And the, the legislatures and people who, you know, pass laws, they never say anything about innocent people. And so that's why Lamont and I, we started this organization with two purposes. First, help innocent people get out, and then help them once they come home. There you go. You know, yeah. we have to help them going forward yeah. because they're not going to have any assistance. If they don't get compensated by the state or anything like that, don't get a judgment from the courts, they're going to be just like I was. You're basically going to be homeless and, uh, and trying to figure things out all by yourself after you've lost 25 years, which is just, that's another injustice. It really, really yeah. is. Yeah, I, I mean, I didn't, I couldn't imagine that if, if, if you were falsely accused of something, you lost 25 years of your life, uh, that somehow or another there would be some sort of compensation for you. You went out all on your own. And uh, you got some cases already pending, right? You've got... Yes, we have four cases that we're working on, and we have, I mean, 12 cases that we're considering, but we have actually four cases, you know, one in Kansas, three in Missouri, that actually we have what we call lawyers who have gotten these cases you know, back in court, or one of them is close to getting back in court, three of them back in court. And then we have 12 cases of that we what we call developing, and we're in our research team that looking like, you know, it's pretty close. Then we have hundreds of requests. Yeah. Just, I mean, Just like you experienced. That's right, hundreds and hundreds of requests, and so we can't even begin to uh, answer the you know the call to all of those I can't imagine the, the cost you know it can I can't cost. imagine the day yeah. that the first person that your that's ministry right. that's right I can't imagine the emotion and, and, for you oh man and that may be soon as we were just talking yeah. about this at our board meeting yesterday we don't know how close we are but we know we're pretty close with some of these cases if Westsiders wanted to know more about this ministry what's, mm -hmm. what's the website okay the website is miracleofinnocence.org miracleofinnocence.org. That's why we call it Miracle of Innocence, because yeah. we're miracles. To be uh, someone exonerated and proven innocent after 25 years of wrongful conviction is a miracle. Yeah. And so it's miracleofinnocence.org. Daryl, you've taught us so much today yeah. about forgiveness. Would you mind praying over the, not only the West Side folks, but the people that watch all, all over the world yeah. that are really struggling with the subject of forgiveness today? Uh, you've taught us so much. Would you now pray for us? Oh, absolutely. Yeah, right. Let us bow in mm -hmm. prayer. Mm -hmm. God, we just come to you. Lord, we just ask you, take our hearts and create in us clean hearts and mm. give us hearts of forgiveness. Mm. Give us hearts of hope. Give us hearts of grace and mercy and redeem us by your blood. And let us, dear God, know uh, inside of us that the best of us, dear God, perhaps has not yes. even been revealed. Mm. You know? And mm. so we just pray a blessing over Randy mm. and Westside her Family Church and that you continue mm. to use this as your vessel. You know, as your body of believers mm. that can go out to the world, dear God, and just heal those who are hurting, mm. provide them the comfort that they seek, and just, dear God, give them even right now, Lord, these necessities like food and water yes, and so. shelter and clothing. I mean, you know, you know the needs, mm. and that's what Jesus, whenever he performed a miracle, of, and most times it was because that was the need. Yes. And so we just mm. pray to be just yielded vessels, dear God, yes. and humble spirits that we too can be used. And anyone, Lord, in the world who may hear this telecast, dear God, let them be touched and to know, dear God, that there is hope. And an acronym for this word hope is hold on, pain ends. Mm. And for that, dear God, we give you thanks. We just lift this prayer up to you. We place it in your care. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen.
Thank you, my friend. God bless you, man. Let me ask you, church, let me ask you, anybody that's watching online anywhere, can you imagine that your story is the story of Daryl Burton? I can't even imagine. I mean, um, I was choked up. I had goosebumps. I don't know about you. And here's a guy that was able, through his relationship with Jesus, to forgive the people that offended him. And he's moved on with his life, and God is using him in a very profound way. If, if Daryl can do this given his situation, just maybe through Christ, we might be able to do it in our lives, in our situation as well. So I'm going to end with the two questions I started with, and I'm going to ask you um, to put the names down of people actually on that list. First question is, do you have someone you need to ask for forgiveness? And so I want you to write their names down, someone that you need to ask for forgiveness. Just put their names down. And then ask yourself the second question, do you have someone you need to grant forgiveness, someone you've been holding out on? Uh, this could be a person that's not even alive anymore. Boy, the number of people that I've run into that need to forgive their father or their family of origin for things that happened to them or to uh, a leader in their life that's no longer here with us, but you're still carrying the bitterness and the weight of it. I want you to be courageous enough and to write their name down. I mean, I've been there and I know how much it was holding my life back, so write their names down. And now we're going to enter into a time of worship. And as we're worshiping, I want you to think about these two questions, and I specifically want you to look at those names. Maybe you'll just have a time of prayer, but I, I want you to um, consider taking a, that pen or that pencil and literally crossing their name out as a sp spiritual act of worship before God. And then after the worship is over, just as Jesus said, I'm going to invite you to leave your gift at the altar and go and make things right with your brothers and your sisters. And all of God's people said, Amen.